Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. How are you? I'm okay. I'm. Uh, you sound. Yeah, you sound a little bit congested. Do I? I, I was singing karaoke uh, um, yesterday, and I wore my voice out. I was singing. Uh, Do you sing in I, character? Well, I just went over the top a little bit on uh, a Les Mis song. Okay, um, that's good. <laughs> I love karaoke. Yeah. But uh, I think if, if for me, because I have no tone in my voice, like I'm not, a, I don't have a beautiful voice. Despite, oh, you know, that's not and for I you can't to really, judge. I think you. Have I can't a keep voice. tone. I can kind of keep rhythm. But you, but you have like, passion. I have a lot of passion. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But you won't find me at the front of any, um, you know, boy band anytime soon. So. Uh, don't, s- don't sell yourself short. Is that the expression? <laughs> there was a boy band in the like kind of internet art world, wasn't there, for a little while? The, there was the that, HD boys. Called? HD boys, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever happened to them? <laughs> yeah. And they were just too cool to, to continue. <laughs> right. yeah. Um. Yeah, what about you? What's going on? Um, what's going on? I'm just uh, working on um, preparing exhibitions. The, oh, the so you have a bunch of exhibitions coming up. That's yeah. a good problem to have. Yeah, it's not a problem. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. What are the? Can you tell us about any of them? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, there's the film museum in Amsterdam. This sort of spaceship mm-hmm. building. Oh, the eye. You have yeah. something there. That's well, so exciting. They have the Amsterdam Art Weekend, and then that weekend mm. we have three big LED walls in in their main space. Mm-hmm. So the work is on a grand display for three days. Oh wow! Yeah, that's my favorite the, uh, museum restaurant. Yeah, and it kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll talk because this week we want to talk about texture, and yeah. I like the texture of these outdoor LED screens. So this is not like an oh, an, it's going to be outdoors. No, it's not outdoors, but the the but screens indoors. that are made for. I'm trying to differentiate because people say, oh, you have a LED TV or an OLED, mm-hmm. but that's not what oh, I mean. I know what I mean is I know where you see the grid about, yeah. with the little LED dots. Yeah. yeah. I did a show with the, with those, and it's like you build them out of modules. I did a show with them this summer, yeah. and I insisted on it because the they're getting really good. The resolution's pretty well, high Well, I now. actually like them low res, so that's the thing, because my, oh. my work is... Uh, it, and that's what I wanted to talk about, about texture. And it has this mm-hmm. interesting texture that is really pleasing for the eye. And it, the same way, you know, those Barbara Kruger LED light boards, they, mm-hmm. they're cool because they're low res. I see. So the resolution you're conflating with texture. When I think of resolution, I don't often think about texture. Yeah. Well, you're, I, you're I had a lot of prep work in my... I'm very excited this week. I'm sure you're going to ruin it with politics, but I want to talk about the visual side of things. I don't know how. I've been thinking. I've been racking my brain. How can I ruin this topic forever? <laughs> yeah. But it, maybe to introduce the topic, I wanted to talk about that basically, I think for our generation and all generations to come, the computer is the poor man's material. And I think sculpture and painting and other physical as real estate gets more expensive and uh, everybody has a computer like your parents have a computer you can have your uncle's old computer a computer is just part of life the same way maybe a refrigerator is part of life you just have to have one Mm -hmm. and so the computer is is the default material that's kind of free if you doesn't have to be a new one you know like you 
I don't know if we could agree for the sake of discussion that that's kind of like and it, that most that most people have access to a computer and if and and if you mean computer it also comprises like cell phones because a lot of people don't have yeah, computers yeah well I don't even know if that's true like I don't know anyone without a computer but uh, I, I mean I only know it's true because I work with the Toronto Public Library and they're like their most used resources like the free computer yeah well, that's how I started too the free computer mm-hmm. at the library so yeah the so libraries are still offer do so everyone has access probably. To some either public computer yeah. or private computer. No, I'm sure part of the population can't afford a computer. Like even people have a hard time paying their electricity bill. And but well, yeah, my, po- my point remember, is that it's, like it, an, my yeah. point is that from everyone I know here in in New York mm-hmm. and maybe in other cities, starting with painting, it's very expensive. If you want good pigments and canvas, so I'm I'm not mm-hmm. trying to I'm trying to make a point here. I'm sorry. About normal life. You know, like a normal person who can afford a pair of pants, not someone okay, who the, is dying. Yeah. You're saying anyone above the poverty line uh, can afford a computer. Yeah, <laughs> okay, we I, went I, there I already. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but the, I, I agree. Because like, I think... Of, but, I no, think what of I'm saying is digital seems like this fancy, high-tech, but it's so mm-hmm. pervasive now that it's actually the Arte Povera. Right, so it's like 99% of people. The idea of Arte Povera in Italy was like, well, we'll just make... Uh, make art with the cheapest materials around mm-hmm. but nowadays it's it, if you agree that you have to make art in a city having a studio is such an insane luxury that uh, oh, having yeah. a laptop is that's my point yeah i think that's a great point yeah. so like uh, so that's yeah, my point like, and and the other point is that um the step to get a studio or get materials comes with baggage of like oh you're an artist not and the computer is this sort of thing where you're just sitting there already you're doing your homework Mm -hmm. you're doing your taxes you're doing your shopping might as well make a web page so that's what i mean that it's the poor man's material it's just there it's right at your fingertips and um, right yeah and it's like so it's like the means of production and it's infinite potentially in its possibility that was yeah it's not maybe the poor man's material but it's the working class material yeah, but the, it can be reconfigured. In fact, it's probably the thing that you earn a living on yeah, and yeah, yeah. entertain well, yourself. Well, I, I mean, very yeah. practically, like both of us are not poor. But for you, if you had ideas to make sculptures in marble, that's a big step compared mm. to making an animated GIF. Well, I would open up a three D. I'd open up some three D software, like I use Cinema Four D, yeah, and yeah. then. I would let, but the I physicalization is very expensive. That's what I mean. I'd, yeah, I'd send. Uh, yeah, and I'd be like, "Oof, I gotta find a, someone who can print this and take care of the physical part." Yeah, <laughs> I would actually go look for a CNC kind of yeah. company or something. But so one of my points, it, uh, one of my points of interest, and why I wanted to do this episode, is mm-hmm. perfect surfaces are very difficult for the eye, and like perfect tones without any distortion. So if you hmm. if you have a software synth and it emulates an organ or it emulates a guitar or strings mm-hmm. they add a lot of imperfections or even a digital camera will add a little bit of noise to make it more pleasing to the eye and if you have a perfect tone in a synth it's it, things will the, the speakers will resonate with the surface they're on mm-hmm. and the way i treat digital sort of there's a circle and in the circle is pure red and around the circle is pure blue and there's no but my point is that whenever you want to add texture in the digital, you're, you're, having, you're adding an image of a texture. There's no real texture. 
Right. Uh, so yeah, so like, let's say you think like, okay, this, this geometric uh, vector uh, imagery is too uh, cold for the eye. It's very unpleasant. Yeah. It doesn't have the sort of warmth. When, when you think of warmth, you think of like a photo of an espresso in a coffee shop with your laptop and an, and an Instagram filter. That's what I mean with, with fake texture. So, so depressing. Oh, that's like a bad, <laughs> bad thing. Like, <laughs> but it has that's a warmth. What I think of home. It's pleasing to yeah, the eye okay. and it has, okay. it has this texture. Wood, there'd be like a wood table or something, yeah. though, right? But what I'm saying is a picture of a wool blanket on a screen mm-hmm. is still LEDs behind a pane of glass. It's still it's not real texture. You're seeing an image of texture. Mm-hmm. I, I have to warn our listeners that this is the type of stuff where you start to talk about visual elements, and they're really simple when you see them. But when you talk about them, they get really complicated. So, but if you were to like take it out of the digital, um, so like your geometric shape example just reminds me of like. I don't know, like cutting out shapes out of construction paper or something, or doing a collage. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I, and what the texture that I would get from that would be, it wouldn't be about touch. You're saying it's a visual texture, well, okay, but the light refracting off of the yeah, grain well, of the, the material. And, and there's many theories why painting persists, and one of them is that uh, it's one of the few media that natively has a texture and that uses mm-hmm. texture as a, an integral part of the image making. And that that's very pleasing to the eye, and that that's why photography or digital prints are, will always kind of be behind that. Well, it's interesting because I have a painting. Um, yeah, you're the like perfect a, example of a digital idealist with a with a modernist painting in your living room. Well, yeah, I have a big modernist painting in my living room, and uh, it it has it does have texture. Like some parts of it are, it has visual texture. Like some parts are intentionally not finished. Like they're really dry brushed in. And then there's other parts that have caked paint. Um, but what I find interesting, like, so there's a surface texture. But what I find interesting throughout the day is, and this is like, now it sounds like super, like, artsy snob, but, like, as the day passes, the painting changes appearance. Yeah. Um, and when you live with a painting and you see it change throughout the day, it takes on Ooh, the role of, like, a so land. privileged now. Takes on the role of like a landscape. <laughs> it's totally, I like. Yeah. I'm like giving a talk to uh, wealthy women at the brunch club. Yeah, and that's why we believe in painting. <laughs> and the opera reverberates in a way that it doesn't at home. Yeah. But it allows me to reflect upon my life and soul and the cosmos. Yeah. Well, it. it I mean, um, there's. It, I feel like there's many chapters to texture, but. Uh, well, texture for me growing up was, you know, it was opening up Mac Paint and choosing the fill tool. And because I had a black yeah, and white computer, so I remember that I had a black and white computer. So the, the only fill color was black or white. And so if you wanted anything else, you had to use texture. Yeah. Um, because there were no, it wasn't, didn't even have 16 grays yet. Or no, I, but I, I remember, I'm not sure if it was Mac Paint or if it was on another type of computer, but you would draw forms with the, the pen tool or the mm-hmm. pencil. And then you would take the bucket and you could choose different textures. And one of them was eyeballs and the other one was bricks and the other. Yeah. yeah. There but, was like basket but weave. I, I have to I like say, when, when you look at the early computing, there's still a physicality because you can see the pixels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and especially if you had um, a Commodore 64 or a Nintendo with a paint program cartridge. Um, the TV pixels were so huge, and you even if you sit close to a TV, you could see the different mm. uh, light emitters. You would see the red and the green and the blue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's almost like you're playing with light bulbs. And uh, no, it's very interesting because, um, like you know, Apple came out with that iPhone 10 that we talked about yeah. last episode, and it's it uses retina. an organic. Well, and it uses an organic LED display, which is common for like Samsung phones and things like that. But the arrangement of the lights, they used a pentile arrangement. That is to say, they organized the red, green, and blue. Uh, OLEDs because each one is independent of the other um, in a diamond pattern. Yeah, right? so basically uh, and it, that it's more like a brick wall how you lay out bricks than a chessboard. Mm-hmm. But that, that actually has an appearance right? Yeah. Um, versus an LED or LCD screen rather that uh, might be organized in a non-pentile or I don't know, I actually don't have all the technical specifications but sometimes they're lined up in rows. You'd have to see it next to each other and then you'd feel it. Yeah, but when you see this, when you see the pentile thing you're like, oh, um, that's interesting. Uh, but they have to write specific algorithms for anti-aliasing so that you can't see what you're talking about, right? You're talking about when you can see the pattern of the bricks that that creates yeah. a texture. Yeah. Um, but software works to remove that texture in most yeah, yeah, yeah. or most displays. But what I mean is it's kind of like, it, there's a remark from Richard Hamilton. He was, a, he's kind of considered the originator of pop art. He made this collage with a bodybuilder and a vacuum going down mm. in a living room. Do you know that one? Uh, no. I'll and put it and in a big notes, lollipop so. and it's his pop and it, it, that collage kind of, uh, oh yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was talking. He experimented a lot with the printing and computers later, and all these things and photography. And and any reproductive medium has a resolution. Whether it's the photo grain, which used to be you would have a high ISO film or a low ISO film, or if you're silk screening, mm-hmm. the the size of the screen dots. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything has sort of this. The technology offers you a chessboard, and you can play on those squares but you can't go yeah. in between the squares. And he's, he said painting is, is the highest resolution medium. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't have any... Yeah, because you're actually... Squares. Well, I guess the atoms are, are the resolution of painting. <laughs> right, But right. that's pretty small. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's no image transfer. Yeah. It, is the, it, it is the genesis of an image. Yeah, and so there's something very pleasing. I think also Matisse talked about that he, he wanted his paintings to feel make you feel like a couch you can lay on like a velvet couch that's interesting because a lot of artists have been you know promoting digital painting and really what they're doing is actually printing their digital mm-hmm. prints but they rebranded them as digital yeah painting. there's a few exceptions where people will actually take the printer as a brush and uh, manipulate the canvas as it goes through the printer really yeah who does that uh, that's really exciting well wade guyton is the most famous one of that school uh, but there's people who oh. will just take a printer and print on anything, on mattresses and on tables and just, uh, put them around and sort of... But it, it's interesting when you think of someone like Andy Warhol, who's always considered a painter and not a, a printer. But mm-hmm. he was silk screening. But the way he silk screened was so rough. And he was kind right. of breaking the rules there of was silk never screening. Two that yeah. never two looked alike, right? So then you get back to that infinite resolution thing that uh, is appealing. But... It's, so, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting in both directions. So you have this, what they call mark making, where you, you feel the presence of the artist and they were there mm-hmm. and they made the thing. And there's this sort of, the, the, the super digital, it's early digital works were still resolution specific because the displays were so low res. Mm-hmm. But I, always, I was always interested in making these uh, 
vector-based works because you sort of have a platonic ideal and the work is an instruction and as technology moves forward, the image will get sharper and sharper. Well, there are some artists that played with the display resolution by hacking the display, like Namjoon Pike. Yeah, and it becomes <clears throat> you know, he more put a sculptural than, than just yeah. being an image that you project anywhere. But I mean, his piece where there's a magnet on top of the, a very powerful magnet on top of the TV and it, it uses the, it like actually distorts the electrons yeah. completely. It's just, it's really beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you get back to that infinite resolution thing when you see mm-hmm. that. It, yeah. Because you And more recently, you know, I think John Raffman like put knives inside, like he would stab LCD screens. Mm-hmm. A bit violent. Uh, <laughs> not, not, maybe not as zenful as uh, Namjoon Pike's Buddha. Yeah. It's <laughs> reflecting on our times. <laughs> yeah, but people have sort of played with the LCD. But one thing I think of is that, um, you know, in compression, there are a lot of artists in the glitch scene that really explore texture. And also with, in the history uh, of, of film and video art, it works very specific yeah. to the film or video. Well, use. that's where, I, and that was definitely where I was going to go because I started out in video. But, you know, before I get there, like a lot of artists, while, because we were exp- ma- making work, we started to, you know, deal with the compromises of the internet as we were making video work and putting it online. And what inherent, I can remember at the time, people would talk a lot about, oh, what did you, what codec did you use Mm -hmm. to compress that? Because it was, yeah, getting the file size down was important. And when you talked about a codec, you'd talk about all these compromises. That was exactly why I started doing vector stuff. I "I don't want to downgrade the work and then years later you have to re-render it or... It, it, well, it feels like yeah, yeah the, it, you have an ideal form and then you have a, a minor form for the internet. But that that exploration led to um, like uh, Takashi Murata yeah. un- discovering um, that data mosh. this data moshing, but he discovered it inside of this program that most people might not have used or heard of uh, that are listening, but it was called FFmpeg. And FFmpeg had gave you manual ability to control every aspect of the codec. And so because artists were just trying to get the best possible quality out of their their files when they uploaded them, they were manipulating these things. And then they discovered the errors uh, in like by manipulating it. And, you know, Takashi invented this data moshing thing, which created like an uncontrollable kind of like texture it kind of made the electrons visible like namjoon pike or whatever yeah. within the algorithm of but, the codec but it's funny it's quite beautiful it's it's funny like um you get to this point with glitch art where you work you you have the hardware approach but if you do a software approach and then record that approach and then it plays back uh, effortlessly you see yeah. the, the regular file it's it's like a f- is it an image of a glitch? That's that's what it. I was obsessed. I was obsessed with that when I was in yeah. like a undergrad early on. I did a piece called Eight Point Seven Megabytes when I was in was just starting out in school. Kind of. Well, I guess I was nearly finishing my undergrad, but I the whole I wanted everyone to know that this video was eight point seven megabytes. But the funny thing at that time was that I had to then like record it onto a DV tape or yeah. to like distribute it or put it on DVD, and it was no longer eight point seven megabytes. And I remember being so angry at my video distributor this company this organization called vtape here in toronto because i was like i want to give you an 8.7 megabyte file don't you understand <laughs> well i run into that <laughs> it's problem meaningless too. without this because often people are like well we want to show this work from a media player and like, well it's yeah. not video it's a generative piece of software it's an instruction <laughs> and they're yeah. like yeah we know but we don't have money for a computer and uh, we're playing yeah. several works in a row yes and of then course. i'll be like okay i guess and then i have to convert 
a hundred K file that's infinite resolution yeah. and infinite duration to a seven gigabyte shitty quality file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in my case, they're like, we want to put it on digital beta to preserve it for the future. I was like it's pres- data is preserved. Yeah, right, <laughs> like right. you never have to touch this thing again. You just put it on five servers. But the and the thing oh, that so uh, Takeshi Murata was touching on and, and, and Wade Guyton and a lot of people is basically when you take the shortcoming of a medium, the, the fault of a medium and exploit it. And mm-hmm. that's when you start to explore texture. And that's the same with modernist painting where they're not trying to be photorealistic and use perspective and make you think you're looking at something mm-hmm. beyond the painting. Like, right. oh no, let's just look at the shittiness of the paint. Like, I'll just apply it really terribly and then you the viewer can finish it drinking your cup of coffee with the different sunlight and, uh, <laughs> it, but th- there's yeah. this japanese concept of uh, wabi-sabi i think it was a a monk or a potter who who made teacups for an emperor or a, a, a royal person or something like that mm. a person yeah. a no, no, noble aristocratic person and he intentionally made really bad teacups with faults of the material and that, that was about accepting the imperfections of life so hmm. i think there's a whole thread uh i guess it's it started with modernism where uh, and i don't know if it was ironic or if it was a acceptance but but you know as our listeners maybe may or may not know we we accept imperfection as part of this podcast intentionally because of that philosophy um, I've talked about it before when I was a kid, my brother was a perfectionist and I was a, not very good at things. And so <laughs> I think like I'd always try and get him to embrace imperfection. I would say like imperfection is perfection. That was our slogan growing up um, because, you know, like getting 80 percent of the way there is actually more human than being perfect. Yeah. Right? And it, in a way, it, it's almost cliche now. Um, because it's been romanticized, almost like you said, the coffee cup on the wood table, <laughs> the espresso uh, with the the laptop is like a, there's this image, this authenticity gets tied to the imperfection as an aesthetic uh, in a in a kind of problematic way that kind of makes it perfect again. And then it's like you're seeking new imperfections. Yeah. Um, and then there's the so it is interesting that we're, we're moving towards an absence of uh, physical texture. Mm-hmm. As as the screens really get, we thought retina was uh, beyond what the eyes could see, but they're like, oh no, we can go super retina. Yeah. So, but at, the screen, at, yeah. the, the, the screen is a very cold, textureless thing. I mean, I, I thought mean, you were going to go there, right? Yeah, away. yeah. And, like when you, but like touch screens. It's also it, it's also interesting to me that the screen feels like uh, there's this dream world behind it, and there's a sheet mm. of glass, and as the pixels get smaller, that that there was that whole discussion about skeuomorphism in uh, app design yeah and so in the beginning of phones when the screens were not so high res they had to emulate physical textures to uh, compensate for the 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 lack of resolution so to make the 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 device feel more high res they made the imagery more photographic so you don't see the pixels Hmm. Uh, yeah i never thought of it but as as the resolution went up and up and up now the design looks more like book design where you just have uh, you're kind of emulating postscript or vector files or, and like we don't have to fake sharpness because we have real physical sharpness now right like i mean I, my head is still like I, it's so funny you started with laptops because 
<clears throat> obviously for this top for this topic for me anyway it, it's obvious just to go straight to what happened on mobile phones because of the touch aspect the mm. tactility was a you know big part of what people talk yeah, about yeah now you even have this uh, fake tactility with the, the haptic feedback yeah, yeah. and um, i was talking to someone actually this week about it cuz they're like they wouldn't go p- past the iphone that got rid of um, so you know the f- the home button that they got rid yeah, of yeah that's an on interesting the point phone. like slowly but, any uh, depth is, is disappearing. But the, he was saying that like the home button, they already got rid of it two Who generations ago. Uh, just a guy at work. like okay. a, uh, Craig. I'll give <laughs> I'll reference him. Yeah. Um, Craig was saying like uh, this, uh, this guy at work that they, the phone, they made it haptic, the button, the, the home button. Yeah. So as it part was of making fake, it waterproof. A fake physical button. Yeah. And it was ironically, I think it was part of as making to make it waterproof. They had to get rid of the physicality. So they put like a little vibrator under there, or a little like little. I don't know. I they call it like a massager. Is that what they call it? Massage. Well, of course, stick. I have this. Yeah. I have a huge touchpad on my MacBook Pro that is haptic, and at first, it kind of made me feel weird. Like, well, it feels really teleport. weird when your phone is powered off and you're used to it feeling like a button, and then you're like, "Hey, I'm just pressing a sheet of glass. There's no button. I was, f- yeah. I was f- fooled all the time." <laughs> But yeah, because I guess I don't have a newer iPhone yet uh, with the sort of force touch. But um, I, I guess that could be the future where they can fake a physical keyboard on a flat surface. Like so you would okay, feel appara- like you're touching yeah. the keys. Yeah. Apparently already they can simulate like, um, I, I only saw people talk about this online. So it's like I only heard about the experiences people have had at trade shows. But they can simulate bark or like pebbles. Yeah, right. Or different yeah. fur, like fuzzy things. Um, so yeah. that can all be simulated with haptic Man, feedback. Man, there's a lot to talk about. Because this reminds me of this, I don't know if I mentioned it before, the tactiism, this art movement that was yeah, all yeah, about yeah. textures. Yeah. Well, it also reminds me of, um, I always go back to Fluxus, but George Macunas, who was one of the founders of Fluxus, made these flux kits. And then others made flux kits where you would send these mail kits around the world. People would send them to each other, these little kits. Um, and inside the kit, there'd be different sensorial experiences, mm. including like um, there's this concept of like a, like a finger box, I think, where you'd put your hand, your finger into a hole in a box and you wouldn't know what you would feel. Um, I think I can't remember the artist that, that did that stuff, but like, oh, yeah, IO uh, finger box. But like there were all these textural things and it wasn't always just hand text. Like it wasn't just touch, but it's also auditory texture or visual texture or like anyway. Um, but the. The touch was a huge part of Fluxus, yeah. as I've spoken about previously, because of the artwork was created inside of your body in the sen- with senses. Um, but tell us more about the um, the tech uh, the the tech uh, what's it called? How do you say it? Tactiism. Tactiism. Yeah. Well, there was Marinetti who started the fut- futurist movement in uh, Italy, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm on a roll. Let's start another art movement." Um, so he wrote the future the Tactiest manifesto and it was a art movement that was all about touch and they would make touch poems so you would stick your hands in a box and feel smooth surfaces and wool oh, okay. and uh, grains and hairs and uh, all kinds so that's of that's very similar that's similar to like yeah. a finger box but mm-hmm. and it was a it, for me it's also interesting that it was a very unsuccessful art movement and it didn't catch mm. on and people weren't so excited I think it did catch on at children's Halloween parties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forever after. It's like, yeah. is it eyeballs, <laughs> guts, or just spaghetti and meatballs? <laughs> there you go. 
but but, but yeah. uh, it, it's interesting that your hands and your the, the sensory input from your fingers is a big part of how you learn as you're mm -hmm. a kid you're trying to touch everything you're even trying to taste everything and then your parents say don't put that in your mouth <laughs> and then after a certain age they start to say don't touch that don't touch that don't touch that it's impolite mm, so the sense of touch is kind of for children mm. um, but, but yeah, it, I don't it's know one of you, those frontiers yeah. for online shopping as well where people are like oh but I want to touch it I want to before yeah you want to, the fabric between your fingers yeah or, or the teacup or the you want to touch it yeah so that i guess that's, that's a new frontier well i think we disregard like the number of nerve endings at you know in the ends of your fingertips is tremendous mm -hmm. uh, probably only paralleled by like your genitals <laughs> in, in both sexes you can use those um, for touch yeah <laughs> that's right right yeah the two in combination this is splendid it's a wonderful yeah. idea uh but uh i think like you know, we kind of take for granted that we have this sense, and it's it's. You're right. Like it's been. What would you say? Like, but it would be a next frontier or... in in representation if they figure out the technology. Well, I think for blind people or people with um, seeing uh, impairments, uh, those with uh, who you know who might be using Braille or because um, there are these Braille keyboards and stuff now. Like, you know, they they see a lot through touch. Yeah, but um, I could imagine a VR. A helmet and a glove and the, the glove could simulate you could touch oh. an object right like imagine an these... amazon and VR. <laughs> did, did you see uh what was that movie luc besson or something the new sci-fi yeah. movie that with the fashion models and all the colors and the... no i have i i know you saw it because you were very excited about what's it what's the name people... of the movie but they they go into this virtual yeah. shopping mall and people wear a helmet and then they're in this other world but they can touch everything they can well it's really interesting you bring that up because I had a show open this week that had a VR piece that I did with Kristen um, where you're virtually pregnant. And I won't talk about the whole piece, but I'll talk about one aspect of it, which is that like you can see your hands inside VR in, in our experience. So you're inside Kristen's body where we made her virtually pregnant. And then when you put your hands out, you get to control her hands. But if you've done any, if you had done, if you've ever experienced anything like this, we use a leap controller, not the touch controllers, because Oculus and Vive both have these. They gave you like game controllers. But what I really love about this technology that is called Leap is that um, it's not magic. Leap. It it just no no. It's I know they did it. They had it first, but anyway, <laughs> if you put your hands out, you can see your hands. It maps your hands automatically just with cameras. Are they gloves or sticks <clears throat> that you're holding? No. You don't hold anything. Oh, okay. And what's really interesting about this, when when your hand is like transcends and becomes a part of the virtual environment, your first instinct, or mine anyway, is to touch my index finger to my thumb and rub. Yeah. To you know, to see like, hey, is it here? Am I here? Mm -hmm. Am I real? Like can one part of my body touch another? Um, the other thing people do when they experience this is they immediately try and touch the rest of their body, like their pregnant belly and yeah. things like mm -hmm. that. But uh, I find, you know, it, it gives you a really bizarre feeling in our piece and when I was doing experiments, um, beca because like if, you're, if your fingers touch before <laughs> they actually touch, you, you kind of have this feeling of like, like you're saying, like of not being able to feel your own body and the texture of your body is missing. <laughs> Um, when you when it when it hits right when the alignment is perfect, it's a really transcendent experience because yeah. you're like, oh, this is my body. Uh, anyway, I only bring it up because often our bodies are excluded from the digital experiences that you're talking about. Like you're when you're talking about the 
screen earlier, it's almost yeah, like you, it's you a, disappear it's a, into the screen and you forget about your body. Yeah, right. It erases the body. The same way what, in the cinema, you you don't use your body. Yeah, but in these kind of in virtual reality, what I find hilarious is like they keep trying to bring pieces of the body in, but they're only doing it one like little piece at a time. Like they chop the hands off or like they found recently that if they simulate your nose in VR, like just a ghosted nose, that you're less likely to get motion sickness. Mm -hmm. sickness It's like a steady point for your eyes. Something like that. Like it's an assurance like, hey, don't worry about it. You're still you. (laughs) But but that's Uh, very uh, hurtful to people who don't have a nose. Thank you, Raphael. Yes, it is. It is. It's true. Especially, uh, I mean, I have a huge schnauzer, so <laughs> yeah, I uh, I, have a, I have that privilege of a gigantic nose. Yeah. Uh, anyway, big, yeah. Nose. Those with snub noses, of course, feel uh, prejudiced in that. In no, that but people who lost a nose in the war or something. Mm. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I think there are prosthetic noses uh, mm. that are readily available now. Okay. Three anyway, I just think it's interesting because we've been talking about touch that. Um, touch implies or texture implies the body it's like a reminder that the body exists but Um, and so each each reproductive medium i'm not talking about the human reproduction but each Mm -hmm. uh, each when i say reproductive i mean any technology we use to spread information Mm -hmm. so whether it's uh woodblock printing or photography or cinema or vr or all these things you're always kind of working in a pipeline or a, a chessboard that's set out for you and you can play the game in, in those parameters. I see. And it's like you're never, it's always like your hand is mediated yeah. by but then, successive yeah, but, other hands. But the, the examples you mentioned of people playing with compression, they're like, okay, this is the chessboard, but I'm going to mess with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know what the point is. It, it, it is interesting Maybe my point is this, that as long as you stay within the chessboard, for a lot of things, for a lot of people, the things don't have any value. And once you Mm -hmm. go into the infinite resolution world, whether it's sculpture or textile or anything that becomes a unique object, then people see the work very differently. And I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of our listeners are people who sit behind the computer a lot, but they're probably also people who would love to venture out into the world where they could make more money not working for others and making their own things but mm-hmm. there's this thing when you jump out of the computer that the world gets really complicated like, oh i have these images i guess i could print them should i print them on glass should mm. i print what them on aluminum should i print them mm-hmm. on paper but a print is only a thin layer of pigment so maybe i have to spray some pigment on top of that and maybe i have to rinse it then put some chemicals on it and see what happens and it's this whole mm. and it feels like such an ancient journey that people used to have to do to make images. Mm-hmm. Now you can make images without all the the, the cumbersome uh, uh, problems but you're of, implying, of the physical you're world. You're implying that like the physical world also adds value. Like so, it, people yeah, recognize and it adds, value. It, it also physical. adds a stillness. So it's it 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 reduces the mm. speed, which it sets your brain in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to change. It's not going to refresh. There's yeah, no and, 60 and, hertz. Well, it, the... it's a bit like if you take photos with your phone and you might take mm-hmm. a thousand photos a month, they're not very precious. But once you decide, <clears throat> okay, I have to, I have an exhibition and I have to pick five of them and print them life size, mm-hmm. then you look at them very differently because you have to choose. 
Mm. I was at my sister-in-law's house yesterday evening and she was talking about how she had just won an award for like Japanese lettering or something like she she was doing Japanese characters uh, like what do you call it like with a brush calligraphy Um, yeah calligraphy that's it yeah and she won an award where they sent it off to Japan and the reason she did it was because they also put it onto silk for you like mm-hmm. they take your character and they put it on silk and they send it back whether or not you win but she like won an award and it was because she won in the innovation category because she used pine needles to draw the character and they thought that was very exciting because the character was for pine mm. <laughs> it's like but what i think is really cool about that is that um in callig- calligraphy it, it w- is an information uh, kind of it's it's the first step towards digitization in a way, right? Like, because it's the yeah. codification it's, it's of the entry. world as language. It's data entry, yeah. yeah. And that it, within certain cultures and traditions, that data entry is physical. Yeah. Um, versus because you remember, like, well, you it's know, an interesting mo- point. Movable be- type. Yeah, right? because before movable type, calligraphy was data entry. And after mm-hmm. that, it became uh, a precious artifact that is more interesting for its visual and its texture than for its data transfer. Mm-hmm. So as yeah. media move on, like maybe now older cell phones become more precious because they have a certain texture and a certain bad compression that is very interesting 10 years later. Well, it's funny because I was like in the bathroom of a sushi restaurant yesterday. <laughs> It's like a bunch of anecdotes coming together in my head right now. <laughs> this sounds like, like a, a really bad joke. <laughs> no, there was like a, a Belgian, a Frenchman, and a German are in the bathroom of a sushi restaurant. <laughs> there was like a poster for like, I think it was maybe for like Spirited Away or something, but it was from Japan, like for an anime film. And I was like, because I was at a urinal, I was like very close to this poster. <laughs> and then I observed that the characters, they had intentionally like kind of, hand drawn them and added notches like as if they were carved from stone or something even though it was a graphic poster right um that there was like um it was important that these not look like fonts or something that it looked i know what you mean yeah yeah and and then it reminded me i've seen this aesthetic before what why is that why does that exist well it was it was immediately when i started making things with the computer it was very clear to me that it's very hard on the eyes when the colors are absolute and shapes are absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the contrast is, is, it, very, is very hard. It's difficult, and I find that very interesting that it's difficult. So it's something to explore because I I really don't like adding a paintbrush inside of a shape just to make it softer. And uh, mm-hmm. it, you're not adding a paintbrush; you're adding an image of a paintbrush. But if you look at the first pilot episode of South Park, uh, it was stop motion with the uh, colored paper that they would cut into shapes. It was a really, oh, really? rough way of animating. So, mm-hmm. so they would take, uh, they would just buy lots of uh, stacks of colored paper. I think it was uh, Jesus versus Santa or something was the name of the first episode. And so they cut out Santa's red hat and his white beard and uh, each the red hat out of red paper. And but the paper had a texture. So they would animate it stop motion. Stop motion means you put the objects down take one frame, then move the objects a little bit, take the next frame, just like you would do with claymation. But it, mm-hmm. it's basically two-dimensional claymation. And you mm-hmm. know how claymation also has this pleasing thing to the eye. Uh, a kind of vibration. Yeah. And even before, if you look at old uh, cartoons uh, like Looney Tunes, the colors are really flat, but there's a film grain. So that also mm-hmm. makes it kind of pleasing to the eye. 
mm-hmm. but South Park, so they they started off really rough with just physical pieces of paper, and then you have a drop shadow of each piece of paper and the texture of the paper itself. So there's a liveliness to it all and a com- visual complexity. It it would be too flat without the texture. But mm. as soon as they got picked up by a network, they're like, oh, this is going to take way too much time. So what they did mm. is they use a 3D animation software, even though uh, the aesthetics look pretty flat, but they simulate in 3D these pieces of paper floating on top of each other, and they add a, a paper texture into the colors because without that, it would just be too flat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so but it, but it's but it's a photographic representation of a texture. It's not an actual texture. But what you're saying too is that the process of scaling or manufacturing the it as a mass media removed the human textural element from it, right? Oh yeah, it 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 synthesized it. Mm-hmm. This maybe that's like an efficiency. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to make this more, and that does go back to movable type. But um, it it, it, letter, it, it letter is set, it, like setting. Yeah, it is sorry, interesting letter. if you look at them, and it, maybe any medium. They just took the, the the most direct means to making really f- stupid jokes, and that was yeah. these cartoons. Thought, and then yeah. later on, they if they would have taken that same mentality, they would have just animated it in 2D and used absolute colors and just used simple mm. shapes and maybe even low res. But they went pretty high-end immediately. Well, what's interesting, too, for me anyway, is that like, um, my father ran a graphic design studio growing up, and I can remember when computers came around and I can remember before then visiting the studio and there were all these big drawing tables and they would do cut and paste with like real, they had all these like advanced spray glues and stuff. Like they had reached the pinnacle of doing it to look like a machine, but everything was done by hand. Yeah. Yeah. The, and they the, were the, I've heard that a lot from people working in, in ad agencies that it used to be cool to do things super tight by hand. And yeah. now it's cool to make things look hand done by computer. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And yeah. like the, one of the pinnacle technologies in that space was the airbrush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to come back on your painting, you know, example, which is like in my, you know, pa- you know, pine needles uh, character drawing example. But the airbrush was like, how how far can we take painting where it's still physical? Well, they would do special effects tell. with it. Paint, with a paintbrush even like frame by frame on a piece of film mm-hmm. but with would an airbrush you know what's the texture of an airbrush right like it's yeah, it's, it's hardly the mo- any it's texture the, it's hardly any and it was considered almost like the iphone of its generation like the oled as display slick as possible. and as so it, it, it was really uh unheard of to use that in fine art it was the, the antithesis of modernist painting <laughs> yeah. there's a there's a great artist very underappreciated called jack goldstein and he started with film, so he would make a lot of performance and f- record performances or sort of performative 16 millimeter films and later more high-end special effects films. Mm. Also kind of using these airbrush technologies or these sort of analog special effects. Mm-hmm. But at, at some point he moved to painting and he said, I want to be as removed from the painting as possible. So he had a studio with airbrush artists. Mm. Uh, and made these very photographic images, but if you see them, it's so different than seeing a photo. If you yeah. if you if you Instagram them, you're like, oh, cool, it's a big photo, but then you're there, and it's a totally different feeling. So even though there's the, to- yeah. the total absence of the hand, and it's as photographic as possible, there's still the texture, the actual material is completely different. It's it, I mean, yeah, and googling airbrush day. art, googling airbrush art, or like 
or looking at velvet paintings that might have, you know, any of those things. There is like, uh, there's something that that texture creates in terms of even the themes that are explored. Like, there are, you know, remember, it, it was like, Airbrush was great at doing shiny surfaces. Yeah, like chrome, so chrome uh, robot babes. Yes, chrome robot babes think of a thing. And it's the texturelessness of the chrome robot that they're demonstrating. That's the same with early 3D software. It was really hard to do something like a teddy bear, but it's really easy to do Legos. So that's why they made those Lego movies, because (laughs) 3D, everything looks shiny. It's very hard to add the texture. Yeah, so I wonder, I, I, have you watched, do you watch Stranger Things? Or there's this new uh, season of Stranger Things? Yeah, no, I'm against Netflix. it. Oh, right, you canceled that. Well, anyway, the title sequence, I'm sure you know. I know I, our listeners who watch yeah, the show they, know. Yeah, they emulate the VHS they, artifacts? Well, no, they simulate, actually, no, they go one step back. They simulate optical re-photographing, like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, there's a certain... Uh, I saw that you know, video like, of the guy with the the one of the last of those machines and he's maintaining them oh really yeah because it's like this hbo kind of um yeah it was like two decades where every channel every major channel had one of these machines that you could make title sequences with but they were optical that is to say that they used like light and physical film and and almost like a kind you would physically move things it's kind of a stop frame it's kind of the camera would move in across the film yeah Anyway, uh, so they simulate that in this title sequence and they even add a little shake, like a little jitter and they add grain and the light is kind of like not constant because even having constant light at that time wasn't possible. Of course, we take that for granted now with like our... Yeah, and there's probably some tone distortion. Yeah, yeah, there's tone... And but it's really funny how how romantic that like immediately like like goes to my like pleasure centers in my brain. But there's... I never officially heard the definition but one of the definitions of kitsch is when you try to emulate something that the material is not like you're not being honest about the material so Mm. modern computers are really good at making sharp imagery so when you're Mm -hmm. doing this kind of blurriness and shakiness you're faking it right and that's like one definition of, of and i'm not for rules but when i see a title sequence like stranger things even if they did it on the old machine it's just it feels fake well, yeah, I mean, it re- also reminds me of like, um, so you mentioned just for a second the VHS aesthetic, but then like the VHS aesthetic was so disgust, people were so disgusted with it at the turn of digital video um, because, you, you know, we would introduce like these rolling like lines of noise and there was also a fuzz, like there was, you could never get a crisp line. Yeah. Um, and then hipsters and- always 10 years later re re. Uh, evaluated that no wait but, a minute that was really cool yeah people are like well like there's Harmony a warmth Kareen. to it yeah i was gonna go harmony kareen then like comes out with like what was the film he made where it was trash humpers yeah i yeah. think it was called and it was just like nah we're gonna make it like it was like look what i found in that. the thrift store <laughs> a handlebar mustache and a vhs camera <laughs> yeah i get really annoyed now when i see vhs used as an aesthetic yeah. because mm. a like artists like from Dogma 95 were exploring that as like a actually they were trying to aestheticize it during the era of VHS um, and but that there was, was like, no nostalgia for it yet so it didn't have that layer of memory yeah so the but now it's almost used like simulacra like it's like a it's like a tiny Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas yeah <laughs> or something you know you're yeah. like and then you get to it, the, the 10 years later after it's used ironically where you go back and like wait a minute that Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas is really interesting 
<laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The, that book, really the, the famous book, Learning from Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Like, there's all kinds of things that are interested about this. It's just Vegas like all these, like, waves of sincerity and irony, just one after another. Just, you know. But I think that that's kind of been the consensus of our good point today is that there's a certain texture is a representation of authenticity or hum- yeah. like the human. It's because it had to have been made by hand. And, therefore and it's it an, an acceptance of the shortcoming of what you're looking at. But it, I, I, I feel like there's been all kinds of textures in uh, since the printing press. There's been all kinds mm-hmm. of textures for the sake of reproduction. So you have the film grain, you have screen mm-hmm. dots, which Roy Lichtenstein uh, exploited in painting. Mm, and, yeah. and uh, you know, every so many decades. But where is texture now? If, if we look at visual texture, if we look it's at haptic, this hyper, haptic hyper retina. But visually, like, is there still, there's mm. no limit that the eye can't see. We can see images of texture, but there's no texture. It's just a, this, this sheet of glass and the pixels are smaller than we can perceive. The frame rate is going layers. to 120 and maybe next year is 240. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to this point where there's this like, there's this sheet of glass and behind that there's a dream world and you can apply any texture. We can code any texture. But does I mean does that bring you back to painting where like if you can't discern the atom like the atoms from each other, if you got to that level of resolution, if you couldn't tell from a painting, yeah. Well, I guess it's the because the vertical is so. This is really interesting. We kind of really privilege. I guess the horizontal aspects of a screen. We've never explored a vertical screen or a screen that has multiple levels of height. But you're saying. One of the things in those LED, those LCD kind of or LED screens outdoors yeah. that they have, the billboards, is there's there's a a viewing angle, which is to say, you if you look at the screen from different angles, it looks different, mm-hmm. which kind of echoes a painting. Yeah, but also you can see between the pixels, so you know that <laughs> you know there's a certain it, three D. It's a bit like a pontiest painting where if you mm-hmm. look far away. It, and but mm-hmm. when you get up close, you see huge dots. So then, it, but then it's physical. You yeah. understand that it's physical. Yeah, and, and that's very pleasing. Anxiety. But it, it yeah. depends on the work. There's people who make work with very soft tone differences, and so they need a very precise monitor that mm-hmm. re- reproduces color. In my case, it's always extremely saturated colors and hard shapes, and that works mm-hmm. very well on those rough screens. But it's very funny because there's like a new. I was reading. Uh, Kristen needed like a. She needs. She she her eyes hurt from displays. Like she has an issue, like from LCD displays, the backlight. And so we were looking at different. What's the state of e-paper? And I came across this device that's like a very large e-paper tablet. I've seen that. Uh, yeah, it's like 15 inches or something. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I'll put it in the show notes. And it's like, but when I went, if you go and look at the video uh, you know, from the link in the show notes, you'll see that like the way they advertise it is really interesting. So f- the refresh rate's very high, which is now what everyone That's needs. That's very hard with e-ink, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I is love crazy. E-ink. But e-ink, of course, is physical. It's like, you know, literally little drops of, or like little balls Liquid that crystal. turn over. But I, no, I don't think it's crystal. I think it's like a physical ball that's okay. magnetized one way or another, and it actually flips over. Mm. One side's black, one side's white. And that then, reminds me of those old train station uh, signs with those flip over things. Those, yeah, those yeah, no, I, that's yeah. what that's what triggered it in my head. And but the other thing they advertise in this in, on this crazy thing is like that the 
there's a texture to the surface of the screen when you slide the pencil over they say it has like the satisfying mm -hmm. grain of real paper yeah like the resistance like because you know when you slide a, a, a stylus over yeah a and probably for centuries people were trying to make the smoothest paper possible so it doesn't feel like paper that's true and like I'm fountain sure there were pens like japanese like, master paper makers and like yeah, my paper is almost yeah. glass yeah like let's fast forward 10 years it's like welcome to the future it's a tablet and it feels like bark yeah. <laughs> like your yeah, fingers you can, will be you bleeding can red it like a scroll <laughs> yeah like that's you'll the have nice thing right like this rollable screen so we're just we're just going back to the the, the ancient the ten commandments on a big piece of stone and you can you know what i really want uh, i want my phone to give me a callus yeah. <laughs> like a, I want this a, is a man's I want, phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome anyway. to pain. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of cool that uh, they were reintroducing texture into the screen. And that's the first time I'd seen that yeah. um, as a thing. Yeah. But I think always if you have a screen that is multipurpose, then the textures are an emulation of a texture. Because for different apps, you want different textures. Right. I think you can expect to see that because they've already started talking about it in the, in the haptic feedback world. Um, and it is interesting you know, that whenever you can add a dimension of representation, mm -hmm. for example, uh, you start with black and white film without sound, then you add sound, then you add color, you keep adding mm -hmm. dimensions of representation, then you add smell of vision. Yeah, didn't work. <laughs> then you add the shaking chairs, doesn't work. So there, there are limits to what people, uh, for example, I saw an interview with Werner Herzog and he made that 3D movie about cave paintings. So he mm -hmm. was saying 3D was, was a, yeah, he said 3D was an appropriate technology because those cave paintings are not two dimensional paintings. It's amazing. It's, it's something that you really walk around in and it moves as your body moves. So 3D film was a, a necessary uh, tool. It wasn't just a luxury. It was really the, the best way to, to document that That is the that best project. 3D movie I've ever seen, yeah. by the way. But he said like in, a, in an interview, he was oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say just I want to pick up on what you said, because and if people haven't seen it in 3D, when you get a chance, go see it. Yeah, because it really is one of those films. Most 3D movies are like, whatever, I, I can see it in 2D. But this is really the it's like you just don't expect it, it really like blows you away. Because when you see these cave paintings and there's a subtle moisture to the rock and yeah. for some reason, this subtle moisture in 3D it's very textural. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I, I don't know. It blew my mind when I saw but, it. But they were asking him, do you think 3D is the future? And is Hollywood going to embrace this? And is it going to be mainstream? And he said, I don't have too much high expectations because we have a lazy eye. People don't really use three-dimensionality. And he said, you don't need 3, 3D in a rom-com. Like, it doesn't add to the story. <laughs> that was his yeah. literal... Uh, word he used like a, it's funny that you say people have a lazy eye because when they teach you to draw right they teach you to f to use your eyes differently than yeah, like you did close one close the other yeah also to see light and dark not outline because the brain does a lot of abstraction <clears throat> for you right like yeah. um and yeah there are no lines yeah there are no lines that's a that's, that's a, a hard a, lesson to learn <laughs> especially if you're using a tool that's creating lines to represent especially for an eight-year-old child yeah. <laughs> I know you, you, you have a pencil in your hand and it's good at drawing lines, but there are no lines. <laughs> Turn the pencil on its side. Yeah. Whoa. They, don't, they don't give him an airbrush, the little kid. Mm -hmm. yeah, him yeah, or her. Yeah. Sorry. But you should start with a paintbrush, actually, probably if you're a kid. If you want to teach a kid how you to start draw. start with an airbrush, yeah. Start with something that can't draw a fine <laughs> Imagine line. Imagine like a three-year-old with a gas mask <laughs> and a big compressor. And a <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. He's like, don't you get it? It's the light and the dark. Yeah. Uh, anyway, like, he has a great churrascora effect. Yeah. <laughs> all parents. Uh, anyway, but what but else, what, uh, what, I, what I was saying is, you you can keep adding dimensions of representation, so you can have a screen with texture, or you could have a, a glove that mm. gives you haptic feedback in VR, and you feel. And we'll 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 just have to with trial and error find out where it makes sense or where it just because most of the time it looks ridiculous and clumsy like it yeah. looks like so I imagine a touchscreen with different textures I don't imagine that becoming mainstream like I mm. feel like a touchscreen has so many uses that well he, adding yeah the thing we this phone's so funny though Raphael the thing we haven't talked about this you know is like people are adding just textures to everything like the sur- we have to talk about this this there's a new surface book you know uh, oh, yeah. from microsoft <laughs> and it has this like uh, what is it alicanta or something yeah like, has they this, use like, fuzzy... it for the for the fabric in chairs in luxury cars or something it's like anyway fuzzy keyboards now like google's daydream vr headset is like made of felt but apple's <laughs> kind like... of the opposite everything's as smooth as possible they uh, yeah they used surgical uh, stainless steel <laughs> like it's a, you could operate on yourself with this phone it's so the, the, so the word surgical start. stainless steel already sounds so smooth <laughs> but it's really interesting to see companies try and add like whether it's a little bit of wood which they did in cars right remember cars that well cars always kind of had like a there was a 70s thing it. where outside of cars was a lot of wood yeah it, wood paneling like, a, and like stuff. A, yeah. a station wagon with a wood and paneling yeah. Oh, don't worry. This thing's not destroying the planet. It's actually part of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always read when I think of it, when I see a wooden dashboard. Uh, but yeah, like, and I think in all of these cases, they're trying to just make it approachable or human. Like, um, yep. and so just by adding texture on the outside of a VR headset, that's probably the best example. Google's saying like. Don't worry, VR is not a cold void of inhumanity. Yeah. <laughs> it's a warm, it's a warm, uh, you know, sort of blanket on the couch on a Sunday. Yeah, um, get into your sweats and daydream, <laughs> and they even call it daydream. Right? Yeah, um, but uh, anyway, the Alicanta, thats it. Alicanta leather on the keyboard kind of yeah. took me have over you, the top. Have you tried like, one of the Surface books? I mean, I've touched this material because it's also kind of what's built into the when they had the tablet. This, yeah. that keyboard. It just sounds um, like they, they sell it because the first question everybody asks is, "You use a computer a lot, so it's going to have stains of your fingers and like pieces mm-hmm. of your skin are going to rub off on it and sweat." But it's a technology. And they're like, like, no, this is like leather. It gets beautiful with age. But <laughs> if you look at a leather couch, like a 30-year-old leather couch, is that what you uh-huh. want your computer to feel like? And I don't know. I mean, I have a 30 or I have a 40-year-old leather couch. The, I mean, it does, in the le- if it's good leather... But would like you want it's... your computer in that realm? <laughs> well, the thing is, computers, we have to be honest. That's You're absolutely right. People, they're not... They're not being honest. They know what's going to happen, that people recycle their computers every three to five years. And so it'll probably be disgusting after five years, but they know that people will replace yeah. these things. It's not an heirloom. You're not going to pass your service book <laughs> down to your grandchildren. <laughs> it is interesting now that computers are getting to a point where uh, if you don't update the operating system, it, it'll run fine for 10 years. I feel like for most people... It, the computers are just really fast. But you, yeah, you made the key point, which I tried to make at the beginning of the episode, but I wasn't very good at it, which is that even if you want to keep a computer, of course, everyone should have a compu- be able to have a computer, right? Like how cheap is it to have a, re- like a computer from the 1990s, probably good enough for 90% of stuff. 90% but of the op- for sure. 
the the operating systems get updated and like I just updated my phone to 11 and it's like almost unusable now yeah um and that's the you know four stops yeah but that but I think um I, I shouldn't have done it, that because my it, mom it depends, is still on the original iPhone what 3g what your point of reference is because yeah. it, if your point of reference is 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 it how much more expensive is it than zero then it's infinite mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, anything compared to zero is infinitely more expensive. But if you compare yeah. it to renting a studio for 500 to 2000 a month oh, yeah, and buying true. 500 bucks worth of material every week, because yeah. if you if you want to get into painting and you want the painting to last, you need good quality pigments and you might want yeah. it to be thick. And, and that's it. So thinking about paying 1500 for a computer that lasts three years versus an artist studio for 2000 a month, yeah. That's a whole different ballgame. And I think the general public actually doesn't understand how much it takes to paint because you also throw away a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the cliche I mean, of the it, art the, studio. The idea of color studies, that, that you mm-hmm. would take pieces of paper and draw the same composition and then try 40 color combinations of the same yeah. thing. To do that in Photoshop takes about half a second. Because well, I... I do these pa- these patent drawings and I insist on doing them by hand with ink. But for every one that I draw, I throw away one or two that yeah. are not quite right. But that's just paper. Um, it's not so expensive. No, I know. But it, well, actually, the paper I buy costs like $100 a package because I want it to be like yeah. archival yeah, and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, no, but yeah, that's like why it, I think sometimes I, I know the new iPhone is expensive and I know mm-hmm. the MacBook Pro is expensive. But still, if you see it has a video camera, it has an editing suite, and it, it has all these functions that in the old world would cost tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, a lot of artists mine older technologies or they, re, you know, they refurbish them or they take yeah. it, you know, and, I, and I'm kind of into that. Well, that's well. kind of also what, what you were saying. When the, when the technology's passed, then the, the texture becomes more apparent. Like at the time, we didn't think of VHS texture when you were watching a movie. You just thought yeah. of Star Wars. But now yeah. it looks like a texture. Yeah. The, when it first comes out, you're like, wow, it's so good. It's so much better than what we last had. <laughs> so and then, smooth. Yeah, so smooth. Wow, it's like I'm at the movie theater. I think the our noise. next good point uh, T-shirt should say "so smooth." <laughs> yeah, like because we have the buttery smooth voice of a radio now. We should we should make yeah. some good point mugs and see if they do better than T-shirts. Um. Yeah, we could do mugs. I mean, yeah. I know people are begging me to do a version of my shirt that's not a crop top. But <laughs> I will not indulge this so, request. So next, you'll do a very a female dainty teacup, and I'll do a big mug. I don't care how much money we'll make. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, we should probably, uh, uh, I guess, do a field recording announcement. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I've run into I ran into a few listeners yesterday. I, I'm I, you know it's fun to run into them in Toronto because I just assume that no one knows who I am here. Or oh, cares. things are going to change now that it's going to be the cyber. Well, they tech. were. I ran into two graphic designers, um, but they I asked them how they heard about the podcast. They heard about it through you in Toronto. So oh, cool. you know, you know, you're more famous in Toronto than I am. In my <laughs> city. Uh, they were very nice, though. Do you still get? I feel like when you're a teenager, the, being famous sounds so cool. Uh, Did, yeah, was well, it uh, ever a concern? It, it, I know you ironically said, but th- there's benefits to being famous. I, I think that my point of view is that everyone is famous. Um, we like could do an Andy episode Warhol. about fame, I guess. 
We should. Yeah, I mean, let's Andy save Warhol it for said another episode. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, okay. We'll talk about Andy Warhol another time. We've already talked about him. Andy who? Anyway, and, I'll <laughs> yeah. put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you have a you have a great field recording that's texture like that, that demonstrates texture. Yeah, right? it's it's from my friend uh, Joel Fox. I've known him for many years, and uh, he was in Thailand and recorded sounds in the jungle. So we'll hear insects. It's kind of a hmm. texture. Do you know why he was in Thailand? Why was he there? Um, I think he was smuggling drugs, but I can't elaborate. <laughs> uh, I thought he was just on assignment to get us a <laughs> sound of insects. No. We sent Joel Fox he went on, on the good assignment point travel to Thailand. Budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah be, I mean, we can talk about fame, but that would be a really fun way. <laughs> Once you get famous and you have the funds, be like, let's yeah. send some people out into the world to do field recordings. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great. We sent Susan uh, down into the, uh, you know, 5,000 feet below the ocean to the deepest point exactly. <laughs> on Earth. Where's the good point there? <laughs> to record the ancient uh, sea slug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. When we get our Canada Council grant, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, okay. That's all for this uh, week. Please send in your field recordings. I asked those two designers that I met to send in field recordings of their design studios because I was like, what is a design studio Oh, we didn't like? talk about uh, Rizograph. That's the graphic design texture. Everybody oh. like salivates. You want to talk about it? No, I think we've made our point about it. But yeah, it, it, it's this funny. It's almost like an Instagram filter where you you make something in Illustrator, and because yeah. the material is so cheap, there's no sexiness yeah. to it. it. That's maybe my point that the computer is the poorest material because it doesn't have texture. But we didn't talk a lot about the printing press, and yeah. I used to go to printing. Like I, I spent a lot of time out at print proof, like proofing kind of events and things with my dad. Being on the printing press, this thing that we call like non-physical, there's actually a tremendous amount of physical intervention. Yeah. I don't know if it's still like that with digital printing but maybe, presses. Yeah, yeah. I think but what like, we're getting at is that once when when perfection was really hard to do with airbrush, that was very glamorous. But mm -hmm. now that perfection is the cheapest thing, imperfection is more glamorous. That's right. Yeah. Often, yeah, it's now. It's, and that's it's, why it's, people it's totally salivate over risograph printers instead of a, a cheap laser printer. Yeah, or a silk screen print, you know, like any, the the imperfection has value. Anyway, the the eternal search for the authentic continues, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's listen to some some insects uh, in the jungle. Jungle insects. Thank yeah. you, Joel Fox. Okay. Thank Bye, you everyone. for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye.